0: Well, not too good, not too bad. The non-farm payrolls were just right on Friday, it seems. There was less expectation on the Fed tightening sooner, but not too many fears that the economy is recovering slower. It all improved risk sentiment, which helped the Aussie on Friday. The only sobering number was the rise in weekly pay, which you'd normally expect to fall as lower-income workers return to work. Meanwhile, why is Canada so different? Their numbers are down, and so is their pay. Plus, the 15% minimum corporate tax. Will it happen, and what will it all mean? Monday the 7th of June 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, a big move in bond yields in the US after the payrolls on Friday. Ten-year treasuries down seven basis points to 1.55%, the lowest they've been since early May. Ten-year gilts down five basis points. In fact, we've got falls in yields across Europe, but nowhere near as much as in uh, the United States. The US dollar lost 0.4% on Friday, but that's just reversing some of the gains it made on Thursday. The Aussie was the big winner on Friday, up over 1%, but again, just reversing the losses from Thursday. And equities storming ahead in the US. The Nasdaq out 1.5% on Friday and up 6% from its low on the 12th of May. Still quite a bit below 14,000 though, which is its recent highs. Uh, the S&P 500 was up 0.9% and finished the week so close to its record high, whilst the ASX 200 did reach a new high, climbing half a percent on Friday and 1.6% over the week. And oil's up, Brent up to 71.89, uh, getting over $72 on Friday, the highest it's been since 2019. So it's a real risk on mood, it seems. Why? Well, well, let's get Nabs Rodrigo Catrill to explain, senior FX strategist uh, in Sydney. Uh, look, I said in the intro, it's the job numbers, isn't it, from Friday, which hit the sweet spot. Not so bad that it looked like the recovery was stalling, but also not so strong that the Fed might move sooner and tighter. So we're just in the right place, basically.
1: Just in the right place, uh, Phil. Uh, morning. Yes, it was, it was sort of the perfect outcome because... It does reinforce the view that the labor market is improving in, in the US. Uh, when you look at the three month moving average, it's around 549, I think, so 1,000 jobs being created every month. So it's a steady, steady rise, um, but at the same time, not quick enough uh, to instigate an imminent you know, QE tapering discussion by the Fed. Um, and that is clearly being the reaction in, in markets. And as you mentioned, we've seen a a sharp decline in U.S. Treasury yields, but also a very nice sort of pickup in in, in risk appetite with the equity market performing really well. Um, I suppose when when you look at the the moving yields, there's an element that maybe the market was gearing up for a very, very strong number following that ADP print that we got on Thursday. Um, So it's it's a little bit of a short covering, if you like, uh, in terms of the magnitude of the reaction that we've seen in U.S. Treasury yields. But overall, it doesn't mean that we've seen – the the US dollar hit by a combo of lower yields and also by the improvement in risk appetite which Mm. we've seen the US dollar weaker across the board
0: If you look at the employment ratio I mean this gives you an idea of how far there is to go because actually it's gone through the the, the proportion of people working as a proportion of the population so it's gone from 57.9% 58% to 58% so that's not a great deal it was 61.1% in February 2020 so uh, there's still I mean we are still talking millions out of work still a long way to go.
1: Yes so when we look at the details there's still a significant way to go so if you think about it, the people unemployed, it's still close to 9 million. So that's a big number. Um, when you think about what is going on with the decline in the unemployment rate, there's clearly a shortage of, of, of workers. Um, and that is, it's been you know, judged to be a combination of things. One, of course, the enhanced unemployment benefits is keeping people you know, less incentivized to, to come back to work. We've got to remember there's 25 states that will be removing those benefits over the coming weeks. Um, Childcare and and schools will be reopening in the next couple of weeks as well, and and I, there's also that fear around COVID still. Uh, But the vaccine rollout has been very successful as well. So um, if we think about sort of the three to six month horizon, then we know that these factors restricting the the labor supply in the U.S. are likely to go away. There's uh, these professors in Harvard that have been talking about the sort of the real level of unemployment. And then when they consider the fact that there's all these people that are sort of sitting on on the sidelines and they will come back to work. They judged the employment rate to be somewhere around, the real unemployment rate to be somewhere around 7.3% in May. So, there's yeah. still quite a lot of slack in the labor market. And how much now, of this
0: is down to the fact that the, the wage expectations clearly going up? So, the average hourly earnings up 2% year on year for well, May from 0.4% year on year in April. So, uh, is that slowing jobs growth as well? That companies need to pay more and they're not prepared to do it, perhaps?
1: Well, that, that's super interesting as well. Because then, um, so we talked about the supply issues. Then there's the, the other issue, which is the discussion about the mismatch. Because when you look at the the full number of un- uh, unemployment is around 9 million, but there's also around 9 million jobs being advertised in the US. So then there's an argument to say, well, it's just a mismatch. And then, um, as you say, when you look at the, the rise in the employment rate sorry, the rise in the hourly earnings, it was very much driven by the leisure and hospitality sector. So that again is, is a very, like the cohorts of, of em- workers that are um, usually not, not the highest paid but also reflection that they're the ones that are not coming back to work and then uh, restaurants and so on and hotels and so on, they're having to pay a lot more. So we've seen the rise in that average wage, particularly in that sector up um, 7% uh, relative to pre COVID levels and around 12% in the, in the past six months. So certainly um, because of the shortage of labor, we've seen that, that sector of the economy paying up in order to attract those workers. Um, so this this mismatch, we'll have to wait and see how that supply story works out. Because if it takes longer, they will continue to to offer higher wages, mm. and that of course will will raise concerns around inflation. But uh, at the, at this stage, it's it's sort of a wait and see kind of mode, and, and see how this plays out over the coming months.
0: Yeah, well, I'm wondering just on the the inflation point, and you know the the possible uh, rise in interest rates as a result of that. I mean, I wonder whether Janet Yellen's remarks. so we had uh, Loretta Mesta on, on Friday talking about those non-farm payrolls saying that, you know, there wasn't enough in there to get the Fed to change their policy direction. But then you had Janet Yellen, uh, the Treasurer uh, and former governor, of course, saying on Bloomberg on Sunday that Joe Biden should be pushing ahead with the four trillion spending, uh, because uh, if we did see slightly higher interest rates as well, a result former- of that, that would be a, a plus for society and also from the Fed's point of view. Uh, so, uh, could we see some market reaction to that today?
1: Yes, I suppose it, it, her her sort of comment was about sort of the long the long view, if you like. It, it, she was she was talking about the fact that. You know, the the Fed and and many other central banks have been fighting this sort of low yield and low inflation environment for nearly a decade, over a decade. Um, So from her perspective, then she's saying Joe Biden's four trillion spending plan, which if you think is a 10 year plan is 400 billion every year it's going to help and it's going to instigate a bit more spending and maybe it's going to put some pressure on, on treasury yields uh, and even on inflation. And in that regard, she says, well, it's not going to be that bad thing because we, we want to have a high levels of inflation. We, we want to be a little bit higher in terms of yields mm. as well. So uh, she's seen as a contribution to that. But at the same time, she did put a warning that inflation is something that they keep a close eye on. Uh, she believes that there's solid arguments to suggest it's a transitory effect. But if it doesn't, or if it isn't, um, then they will be looking at it more closely. And, you know, they have the tools to fight it if that's the case. Right.
0: All right. Now the Fed, uh, of course, are in quiet mode now until their next meeting on June the 16th. Uh, so uh, not much to come out of uh, out, out of them over the next week. We'll wait and see what comes out of that, that meeting. But in the meantime us cpi later in the week so that's going to be interesting isn't it to see how many of those supply chain costs are being passed on to the consumer
1: yes uh, absolutely the details of the cpi and, and the movement in the core uh, reading in particular will be a focus uh, but then again it's going to be all that sort of discussion around well is this a permanent one or if it's, it's mm, is it just yeah. a transitory effect but uh, <laughs> uh, we got to remember that we did see a moving yields when we saw that cpi print last month so it's certainly yeah. something to to keep an eye on
0: Yeah, if it's another big one, absolutely, it's going to turn markets a little bit, isn't it? So it's interesting that we've seen the US job numbers climbing. The Canada employment numbers, also out at the end of last week for May, showed a fall. We actually had a rise in the unemployment rate up to 8.2% the average wages falling year on year. They've got the reverse of the U.S. experience.
1: Yes. Uh, so, first of all, Canada's labor market data can be quite volatile. But um, uh, what we've got to remember as well oh. is that Canada had Ontario in, in lockdown. Um, so, the, mm. the again, similar to non-farm perils in the U.S., the, the, there was a huge range of expectations. Uh, the, the, the mean was a, a decline in jobs of 22,000. But when you looked at the dispersion, it was potentially minus 162 to plus 100. Um, So we we expected some volatility in the number because of the Ontario lockdown. So unfortunately, again, you're going to have to wait a couple of months and see how it plays out. The, the, The expectation will be that now that Ontario is reopened, that the, the June numbers will see significant if improvements as well.
0: So we're going to see much reaction uh, to, I suspect not in the short term, but this 15% minimum corporate tax that was broadly agreed to at the G7 meeting in London on Friday, which obviously is an attempt to try and crack down on transfer pricing that sees companies shifting their profits to, to lower tax countries. I mean, obviously, it's expected that this is going to impact those companies, particularly digital businesses. Yes,
1: so that that is sort of the, the big theme. I suppose the other thing to, to point out is that this is an agreement between G7, yeah. which is in principle. There's, there's a lot of details that still need to be ironed out. And there's a lot of countries um, that are not in the G7 as well. Well, that's right. And then, so the expectation, so but it's, it's expected that it will set up the, the trend for the G20 meeting, which is in July 9th, 10th, yeah. where you, they're hoping to, to get the other the other big guys in, involved um, and, and accept the move. Um, there's also a, a lot of details about, because what, what the agreement is that in multinationals will have to pay 15%. Uh, but then the distribution of that 15% tax is, is also part of the debate and there still needs to be iron out because say for instance you are a multinational working in 10 year in 10 countries. Um, then you agree to pay that 15%, but then which country gets what out of that share is, is what also needs to be determined. Mm. Um, and there's also these like countries like Ireland that and they're not very keen on doing no. this. And of course, they, they've got a much lower tax rate and it's part of the system to attract businesses to, to the economy. So um, that still needs to be resolved. Um, and you need to get everybody on board to, to make it a global sort of approach. Yeah. Um, the other thing we've got to remember is that there's this, this, this a reason why the US is doing this and driving this because... What President Biden wants to do is to make sure that if there's a level playing field across the board, then when he raises the corporate tax in in the U.S., companies will not be incentivized to leave the U.S. and and go and and operate the headquarters and everything uh, from from other countries. So it's it's, it's an important step in step for the G20 and for everyone to, to become one. But at the same time, it also means that now Biden, if he gets this done, then he will be more encouraged to, to do the corporate tax in the US. Not sure why. The corporate yeah. Tax.
0: The Business Council of Australia, they reported in the AFR today saying that this this 15 percent minimum tax is going to show up just how big Australia's 30 percent corporate tax is. And it could leave the, uh, the, the country exposed in its ability to attract. Yeah, uh, global capital. I'm not quite sure how they how they see that, but anyway, we'll see how it all unfolds. So, look today, uh, job ads for Australia, China's trade numbers for May, and sometime this week as well, aggregate financing data for China too.
1: Yes, so the aggregate financing data is super important because it's seen as a sort of a leading indicator of activity uh, in in China. We know that China's been trying to deleverage a little bit with the hope that the pickup of activity in the rest of the world will be more than an offset for for China's economy. Uh, but of course, the timing and how they go about that will be important. So, so a lot of attention on that. Um, and then uh, trade data for from China again uh, expected to be pretty punchy. We expect to to deliver fifty billion surplus. Mm. Uh, and again, the details around that trade data will be important. You know how much uh, commodities, in particular for Australia, are being imported. Um, and, of course, you know the big uh, deficit uh, with the US will, will will steal some headlines as well.
0: All right. And we've got the uh, two central banks to watch today. We won't talk about it now because we've got plenty of time later in the week. But the Bank of Canada and the, the ECB, I guess the big question is going to be what's the uh, ECB's reaction going to be to tapering? And we've got the, uh, the the NAB business survey tomorrow morning as well. But we can talk about all of that later on in the week. We'll leave it there for now. <laughs> Great to talk. Uh, see you soon, Rodrigo. Cheers, Phil. Thanks. You know what it's like. My attention span goes at 13 minutes. That's it for this morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then.